Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, during the season of Lent, and if you're not familiar with Lent, Lent is the season that takes us into Easter. During the season of Lent, our congregation here at Asbury has been walking through a series of sermons called Including the Excluded. We saw the bumper video just a few moments ago, Including the Excluded. And in this sermon series, uh, we have zeroed in and we have focused all of our energy, all of our attention on the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the third gospel of the New Testament, because in that gospel, uh, the writer, the author, uh, presumably Luke, who was not one of the 12 disciples, and yet he came to follow Jesus later on. Uh, He was a key uh, follower of Jesus in the early church. In that gospel, Luke includes a wide array of stories, uh, a variety of stories that show us Jesus's deep affinity for outsiders, for excluded people, And Jesus' intention to include excluded people in the family of God and to also include them in the fulfillment of God's plans and God's purposes in the world. So throughout these sermons, and we are now in part seven of this series, um, throughout these sermons, we've been looking at these accounts in Luke and their historical and scriptural context. And then from there, we've been asking ourselves this question. It's up here on the screen. How do these accounts in Luke inspire us today as we seek by God's grace to include excluded people? How do these accounts in Luke inspire us today as we seek by God's grace to include excluded people? Because folks, the reality is, and you already know this to be true, I don't have to tell you this, I don't have to convince you of this, but the reality is there are excluded people everywhere. Amen? In our schools, in our communities, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods. And it's our responsibility as a church, as people of God, to go out of our way to look for excluded people as Jesus did, even if it inconveniences us, and to radically welcome these people in. And so as I was putting together this sermon, I started to think about this, and I started to pray about this, and I asked God this question, what's an example that I can show today? of this kind of radical inclusion. And then suddenly, God put a commercial into my mind uh, that I had seen a while back. And so I want to share this commercial with you. And uh, this commercial was put together by our Canadian friends up in the north. Take a look.
This is the third time today that I've shared that video, and every time without fail, it makes me cry when I watch it. Isn't that inspiring? When I saw that video, I immediately thought of this image that somebody shared on social media a while ago. Uh, the image is up here. Sometimes the greatest gift you can give another person is to simply include them. Sometimes the greatest gift you can give another person is to simply include them. And again, this is what Jesus did throughout his ministry, and this is what we're called to do as Jesus' followers, as those who walk in his footsteps. Throughout this sermon series, we've seen how Jesus included all kinds of excluded people. He included the poor, the lowly, the uneducated, the sick, the mentally ill, the demon-possessed, tax collectors, those with bad reputations. Well, as we end this sermon series today, on Easter Sunday, this glorious, celebratory, victorious day, there is one more group of excluded people whom Jesus included that we're going to look at. This group of people should have never been excluded, but unfortunately they were in a variety of ways. And yet not only did Jesus include them, but through his inclusion of them, you and I catch a glimpse into our own inclusion by God. And the people that I'm talking about, the people that I'm referring to, are women. Women. Um, in all four Gospels, and what are the four Gospels? Do you remember? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, in all four Gospels, the authors note that women were the first people at the empty tomb on Easter morning. But Luke's Gospel, the Gospel that we're looking at in the sermon series, Luke's Gospel really brings this point out. Um, so with that in mind, take a listen to these words from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is Luke chapter 24. This is Luke's account of Easter. But very early, on Sunday morning, Easter morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. Uh, we're told later on in this gospel uh, that these men, as you can imagine, uh, they were angels. Uh, the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. And as a side note, there were 11 disciples because by this point, uh, Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, he was already gone. Uh, to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women. So in addition to the ones who are named here, there were several other women who told the apostles what had happened. The apostles didn't tell them. They told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As my sermon title says, these women were the first witnesses of Easter. 
And as amazing and incredible and powerful as this story is that we just read, folks, this story becomes even more amazing, more incredible, more powerful when we consider the historical and the cultural backdrop against which it was written. Because this backdrop was anything but flattering to women. It was anything but flattering to women. Um, Scholars of the Bible point out that in the ancient Greco-Roman world, 2,000 years ago, there was a huge shortage of women. In fact, there were roughly 140 men for every 100 women. In other words, there were 30% more men, or just about 30%, but 30% more men than women back then. Now, why is that? Why such a gap? Why such disparity between the amount of men and women? Is it that more men were born 2,000 years ago than women? No. The sad reality is, and I don't want to share this with you, but um, it's important for us to acknowledge that this actually happened. The sad reality is that a lot of women were discarded as soon as they were born because a female child wasn't considered as important as a male child. During my preparation for this sermon, I came across uh, a letter that a soon-to-be father wrote to his wife who was pregnant while he was traveling. Listen to what this father said to his pregnant wife, or this soon-to-be father said to his pregnant wife. This is really horrendous. I ask and beg of you to take good care of our baby son. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. A soon-to-be father told his pregnant wife to discard their child when their child was born, if their child turned out to be a girl. According to Roman law, and remember, Rome occupied Israel during the time of Jesus, while according to Roman law, a father was required to raise all healthy male children, but only the firstborn female. All other female children were considered disposable. Now, These practices were from Greco-Roman culture, but in all fairness, ancient Judaism, uh, 2,000 years ago, ancient Judaism wasn't much better. For example, in order to start a Jewish synagogue 2,000 years ago, synagogues are worshiping communities for Jews, well, in order to start a synagogue, at least 10 people in a given community had to be present, and none of those 10 people could be women. They all had to be men. There was a prayer that some Jewish rabbis chose to pray during the time of Jesus. The prayer went like this. Blessed are you, O God, for not making me a Gentile. Now, what's a Gentile? A non-Jewish person. So blessed are you, O God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Even though the book of Genesis, the Torah, the law of Moses says uh, that God has created all of us equally in God's image, men and women alike, that was the prayer that some rabbis chose to pray. There was a prominent rabbi who lived about uh, maybe 60 years after the time of Jesus, 50 or 60 years, toward the end of the first century. And he said at one point that teaching a woman the law, the law of Moses that would be, that teaching her the law would be like teaching her blasphemy. And he also went on to say, let the law be burned rather than entrusted to a woman. I could offer other examples, but quite frankly, I don't want to. In every way that we can imagine or think of, women were discriminated against. They were seen as subservient to men, less than a man, 
inferior to a man. And yet, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus respond to this cultural backdrop? Well, in a way that nobody ever had before him, Jesus elevated women. Jesus lifted them up, and he made them a key part of his movement. For instance, take a listen with me to these words from the Gospel of Luke. We're talking about Luke in the sermon series. We'll take a listen to these words from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, this is Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is Jesus as he's engaged in his public ministry. Uh, this is what Luke notes. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news. That would be the gospel, the euangelion in Greek, the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his disciples with him along with, somebody say with a lot of enthusiasm, along with. All right, you did it before I even instructed you. That's awesome. Along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others, many others in addition to these ones who are named, uh, who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. I love this. Here in these verses, we find women traveling alongside Jesus and the disciples. Luke doesn't say they're two steps behind them. He says they're right there with them. They're right there among them as Jesus and the disciples are engaged in their ministry work. Folks, in a culture where women and men did not interact with each other unless they were married, this was radical. This was unheard of. And actually, not only are these women following Jesus, even as the disciples followed Jesus, going from town to town, but as Luke tells us, they're financially supporting Jesus' ministry. They're contributing to that ministry out of their own pocketbook. And heck, one of these women is married to who? Chusa, Herod's business manager. This is the same Herod who had John the Baptist executed. So far from being subservient or docile, these were some tough and bold women. Thank God for them. Another example of Jesus elevating women happens three chapters later, um, Luke chapter 11. In fact, maybe some of you remember the story. Uh, one day, this woman comes up to Jesus, and she basically says to him, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you, the one who nursed you. And uh, we would expect Jesus to say, thank you. That's a wonderful compliment given to my mother, and so I'm going to make sure that I share that with her. I agree with you. Mary, she is one of a kind. She's the best in the world. There's nobody else like her. That's not what he says. Do you remember how he responds? When she says, uh, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you, Jesus responds with these words. He says, rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, why does Jesus respond in that kind of way? Why doesn't he simply accept the compliment that was given to Mary. Because Jesus is saying here that while motherhood is virtuous and noble, that is not the highest calling of a woman. The highest calling of a woman, like the highest calling of a man, like the highest calling of any human being, is to be a follower of God. Somebody who hears God's word, obeys that word, and puts that word into practice. Jesus is once again challenging the culture into which he was born. 
And Luke is not the only gospel writer who brings out this truth. Other gospel writers bring out this truth as well. For example, the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another person in all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the longest recorded conversation takes place in John chapter 4 when Jesus converses with the Samaritan woman at the well. So the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with another person, it's not with a man, it's not even with one of his disciples, it's with a woman, and an excluded woman at that. It's amazing, isn't it? Let me ask this a question. Have you ever felt like a nobody, but then you had somebody who came alongside of you, and just by the way they treated you, with such dignity and such respect, that person revealed the truth. You are not a nobody. You matter just as much as anybody else. Clark Hawthorne, who's a pastor in Michigan, he shares the story that when he was a small kid growing up, his mom was a dean of a local college. And her office at the college was located in the administration building right next to the president's office, the president of the college. And so his mom would often bring him to work, and he would play on the ground with his toys just outside the door of the president's office while all the grown-ups were doing their thing. And every once in a while, Cawthorne said that he could see these students, uh, these college-age students, um, come inside the administration building. They were headed to the president's office. They were all nervous, just a bundle of nerves. They didn't know what to expect. And the door of the president's office would creak open and all he could see of the president from his vantage point on the ground were his shiny black shoes and this large hand that would welcome the students inside. Well, one day, he was playing with his toy cars on the ground, uh, just outside the door of the president's office, and then suddenly, there was this large man who was standing over him. You know who it was? It was the president of the college. Uh, he was wearing a three-piece pinstripe suit, had on his signature shiny black shoes, and in a way that totally surprised Cawthorn, the man bent down like this. And he asked him a question. Can I play toy cars with you? And so they played together. This college president and this little boy. It's easy to feel like a nobody when you're a child playing on the ground while all the grown-ups are busy doing their work. In fact, as I heard that story, I thought about times when I was a kid and I felt so small. But children are not nobodies, as that college president revealed. And women were not nobodies 2,000 years ago. Despite what the culture said, despite the way the culture treated them, women were not nobodies. They are just as important as anybody else. And to be clear, the influence of women back then, it went beyond simply following Jesus or financially supporting his ministry. As Luke tells us, they were a part of his inner circle. Women were a part of Jesus' inner circle. Listen again to the Easter story from Luke 24 as the messengers speak to the women. Remember what he, that would be Jesus, remember what he told you I think we have this up on the screen. There we go. Remember he told you, or what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they, that would be the women, then they remember that he, Jesus, had said this. 
But who did Jesus say this to? He didn't just say this to the disciples, his 12 followers. He said this to the women. He told the women about his suffering, death, and resurrection. He told the women about God's plan of salvation for the whole cosmos. And in doing so, Jesus revealed just how offensive, how ridiculous, how preposterous, how silly these barriers were that the world, driven by sin, had erected. Which is why Jesus defeated these barriers now and forever. Not only did he defeat them by his life and his teachings and his miracle and all that good stuff, but he also defeated it most profoundly and most especially through his crucifixion on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. At the cross, Jesus took sin upon his own body. And when Jesus took sin upon his own body, he took every bad thing that comes from sin, like exclusion and leaving people out. And when he rose from the dead on that Easter morning, he defeated these things once and for all. All you and I have to do as people of God is step into this reality. An example of somebody who did this is the Apostle Paul. Remember Paul's story? He used to be known as Saul. Uh, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. Uh, probably as a rabbi, he prayed that prayer back then that some rabbis would pray. Blessed are you, O God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And yet after Paul came to experience the risen and resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, he went on to write these words in Galatians 3, verse 28, one of the most profound and inclusive statements in the entire Bible. There is no longer what? Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one. Folks, this is the reality to which our God has given birth through Jesus Christ, especially through his crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead. Motivated by sin, this world tries so hard to separate us, doesn't it? It tries so hard to break us apart, to tear us apart. But God says in Jesus, we are one. And because we are one, you know what this means? Here's where the rubber hits the road. It means there are no nobodies. I know that's a double negative. You're not supposed to say that, okay? If you grammar experts, just maybe relax for a few minutes. There are no nobodies. We are all somebodies because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. God has acted on your behalf, in my behalf, in everyone's behalf to save us and redeem us and include us and bring us into his family. And because we are in his family, that means that we are royalty because we belong to the King of Kings. There was this little girl named Olivia when she was turning five years old, her parents came up to her and they asked her what kind of birthday party she wanted to have. Does anybody remember your parents asking you when you were small, what kind of birthday party do you want to have? I remember one time when I was turning six, we had a pirate-themed uh, birthday party, which was a lot of fun. So her parents asked her that question. Livia thought about that. And then she said, you know what? I want everybody to be a king or a queen. And her parents said, okay. And they were really creative people, much more creative than me, so they got to work. They put together these silver crowns out of aluminum foil and cardboard boxes. Then they put together these royal robes out of crepe paper. And then finally they created royal scepters 
out of gold-painted sticks. And so it was the day of the birthday party. About a dozen kids showed up to the house. Every child was given a crown, a robe, and a scepter. Thus they were dressed as a king or a queen. It was a real sight. All these kings and queens, they feasted on ice cream and cake. They had a wonderful time. They played games. And then the birthday party ended with a royal procession. They went down to the end of the block, and then they came back again. All in all, it was a royal day. Well, as her parents were putting her to bed that night, they asked Olivia, what did you wish for when you blew out the candles on your birthday cake? I was always told you're not supposed to say what you wish for, but she decided to go ahead and tell them. She said, I wished really hard that everybody could be a king or a queen, not just on my birthday, but every day. Folks, in a real sense, from the mouths of babes, in a real sense, Olivia's wish came true. Because of God's commitment to us in Jesus Christ, a commitment which the resurrection from the dead solidifies, all of us are kings and queens, all of us are royalty, not a single person is excluded from this reality. You're not excluded, I'm not excluded, nobody is. Folks, this is good news. This is not news that we're meant to keep to ourselves. This is news that we're meant to share with the world, even as the women share it so boldly on Easter Sunday, racing from the tomb, even if it sounded like nonsense to the men, they still continue to share it. We are to go to every person. You and I are to do this. We are to go to every person, especially those who are excluded, and we are to say to that person, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You are royalty. You're an image bearer of God. You are somebody for whom the Lord Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. Embrace your identity. Claim your place in God's family. Know in the depth of who you are God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Earlier in my sermon, I shared this image with us. Sometimes the greatest gift you can give another person is to simply include them. This is the wonderful gift. This is the incredible gift given to all humanity in Jesus Christ. Our inclusion by God into his family. Folks like the women, let's share this gift. Let's share this good news so others may come to experience it and know in a profound way the hope and the joy that only Easter makes possible. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please join me in prayer. God, I don't know what else to say other than thank you. Thank you that even in our sinfulness and brokenness, you have come for us in Jesus Christ. You have pursued us all the way to the cross and the empty tomb. We didn't deserve it. We didn't merit it. But you came for us anyway. And in doing so, God, you declared our real status. We are royalty. We are kings and queens because of what you have done. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. Empower us by your Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to share this good news with all whom we encounter 
especially those who feel excluded. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.